0: If you haven't been with us in the last uh, about a month now, we have been in a series called Renewed, and it's all about having a fresh movement of God in our life. Um, you can describe that many different ways, whether or not it's renewal or revival. Um, those All all those terminologies work, and we've talked about some things that have to happen in order for that to take place. Mainly, the first, thing, first couple things that have to happen is you have to realize that you need revival. If you don't... If you don't realize that you need renewal or need to be renewed, then you're not going to do anything to, to try to have a, a renewed relationship with Christ or a fresh movement of God in your life. And the second thing is you have to rediscover the Word of God because that's what He speaks to us through. And you can't separate a fresh movement of God away from His Word. That is what He speaks to us through. And then once those two things have been established, then you begin the process of, of having a renewal or a renewed walk with Christ or a fresh movement of God uh, in your life, however you want to say that. And, and over the last few weeks, we've looked at some of the steps that it takes in order to have a renewed uh, walk with Christ. And we've been looking at that from the story of Josiah, uh, King Josiah from Second Kings chapters 22 and 23. And so far, we, we've learned the first two steps. The first step uh, is conviction. Conviction is a work of the Holy Spirit, whereby God uh, uh, uses that to, uh, to get our attention, to show us the areas of our lives that aren't adding up, that, that show us the areas of our lives that where we miss God's mark, where we miss His standard, uh, where we've fallen short, if you will, where our sin is. Uh, conviction is what gets our attention to let us know uh, that we need to come back. And, and conviction is not a bad thing. It was never intended uh, to be a bad thing. It is not condemnation, but it is actually just getting our attention. But conviction has an open embrace available to anyone who would respond to that. And, and so conviction is a very important aspect of returning to God because if if you don't have conviction, you're not going to see and understand a need to, to come back, Right? If you've walked away and you don't realize you've walked away, then why are you going to do anything to try to come back? That's what conviction is there. It's always to draw us back. Conviction was used by God to draw us back uh, to him into a loving relationship. Then, after conviction takes place, the second step is confession. And that is where you come to the point where you understand not only that you've messed up, not only where you've walked away or where you've missed God's mark, uh, but you're willing to confess that. Uh, before God and if you remember from last week confession from a biblical standpoint Is not just admitting that you've done something, but it's also agreeing with what God says about that You see a lot of times we're willing to admit where we mess up, but we're not willing to admit we were wrong Does that make that make sense? We're willing to admit that I didn't do what God said, but we're not quite ready to admit that 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 was wrong we, we'll like to argue with God about certain things, you know, and we talked about some of those sins that are prevalent in our culture today. And and, and while we do them and we admit that we do them, we don't admit that they're wrong. Today, um, just for an example, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Okay? Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that anyway. It was amazing how that worked because I wasn't planning on Sanctity of Life at all in my message, but it showed up. It's like God knew. Um, and so it's going to show up in a minute anyway, but... But abortion's a big, hot topic in in our culture, and there's a lot of people today who, yeah, I I had an abortion, or yeah, I agree with abortion, but they're not willing to admit that the Bible says that abortion is wrong. And, And so confession is where you're willing to not only admit that you've done something, but you agree with God's take on that. You agree with what God has said. And then when those two things happen, it leads to the third aspect the third step uh, of having a fresh movement of God in your life And, and we're going to look at that And that step is called repentance And we see the repentance side of Josiah in Second Kings chapter 23 So if you have your Bibles I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning In Second Kings chapter 23 We're going to read verses 1 through 3 so after the, the people that he had sent to inquire of the Lord, what was to take place? After word had been rediscovered and read and he, can, he, he um, had conviction and he confessed where they'd fallen short and he sent people to inquire of this prophetess, they come back in chapter 23 and it says, Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, and, and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. What, that's a very important statement in that it wasn't just a select few that he made sure heard. This was read at an assembly for everyone. And so everyone heard this. That's what it means in their hearing. Everyone heard the instructions uh, from the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. And remember the book of the covenant is the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay? So they read all of that to everyone. So if you ever think that your preacher's long-winded, he just read all of that in an assembly to all of them. Okay? Now listen to what it says in verse 3. Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep His commandments and His testimonies and His statutes with all of His heart, with all of His soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. Let's pray. God, today I pray that you'd bless the reading of Your Word. And now, as we examine it for a few moments this morning, I pray that I would decrease and that Your Spirit living in me would increase, and that the words today would be yours and not mine, and they will find the place You have for them in the hearts and lives of your people. Father, for your glory and your honor, we pray that your spirit move. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so for us to realize and understand what's happening here, Josiah has, has been convicted. He's confessed. Now that he brought, draws everybody back, and he leads them into a process of repentance. Now, Now, that word is not used here, okay? The word repent is not used in what I just read there, but But you need to understand when you understand what repentance is you'll see how that's evident in what he just did in verses 1 through 3 and they actually follow through in all the way down through verse about 13 and into all the way down through verse 25 as well and so there's some things about repentance that if we look at it you'll see how that shows up in Josiah's life here now there's a reason why you don't see the word repent in this setting it's because in the Hebrew there were really two words for, for repentance uh, that, that we would maybe translate repent, and they don't quite add up to what biblical repentance is because it wasn't used in that manner. Repentance is more of a New Testament theology, Okay. As well, It is found in the Old Testament. It's just a little bit different. And so what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to share with you some truths about what repentance is from a New Testament standpoint. And you're going to see how that's evident in the life of King Josiah and his people right here. So what is repentance? Well, the word for repentance literally means uh, to heartily amend or change, to heartily amend or change with abhorrence, which is a strong distaste or with disgust. Okay, so it is to heartily change or amend with strong distaste or disgust from one's past mistakes or past sins. That's what repentance is from a New Testament perspective. It is to heartily change with distaste and disgust from one's past. Okay, it's a change of direction that uh, due to now being disgusted with your sin let me let me explain it a little bit maybe like this when I was a kid growing up mom used to make uh, something that that I think my dad and I might have been the only ones in the house that would eat it Uh, but she would make spinach okay now I'm not really sure why I liked spinach other than I like pie pie and I thought if I ate a lot of spin spinach maybe I'd be like pie pie but um, I would eat uh, spinach and it wasn't my favorite thing mind you but I would eat it it didn't Uh, make me sick or anything like that. I kind of enjoyed it, so if she made it, I would eat some of it. But then um, I had an encounter uh, at Falls Creek when I was in high school, and and we had this competition at Falls Creek called Iron Stomach. Now, that basically is where you just divide up into teams, and the youth minister gets some of the nastiest food you can think of, and then the kids that would eat that, they got points for their team, and it would be anything from sardines to pig's feet to just stuff like that the stuff that most of us wouldn't want maybe maybe he would give you an onion and you had to eat the onion or or something like that and so there's all this stuff and it had been taking place and our teams there were two of two teams and we were tied and he said okay i'm gonna have a tiebreaker and he reached down into uh this his his little ice chest and he pulled up a, a little uh bottle of baby food spinach And everyone there was, like, immediately, like, oh, no, no way. Like, they drew the line. They would eat all that other stuff, but they all drew the line on spinach. And here I am thinking, wait a minute, I kind of like spinach. I'll do it. We'll win. And so he's like, okay. So they brought me up to the front, and they handed me this jar of baby food spinach, and I took the lid off and kind of smelled it. And guess what? It smelled just like spinach. Okay, so I'm thinking, how bad can it be? You know, really it's not that bad. So they gave me a spoon. And I inserted the spoon into the baby food, and I inserted that spoon into my mouth, and I was immediately disgusted with the taste that was in my mouth. And I couldn't get it out of my mouth fast enough, and I couldn't get that taste out of my mouth fast enough, so much so that when I had my children, my children never ate baby food spinach. Like, we would not buy it. And to this day, I can't stand spinach at all. Like, if you make it and I smell it, I got to leave. I can't stand it. Why? Because something happened that made me so disgusted by it, I become so so distasted for it that I could no longer stand it, and it changed, right? It changed something about me. It changed the direction I was going. In that particular case, I, I was eating spinach. Now I won't. That's what repentance is. It's to come under such a distaste or so um, disgusted by your sin that it leads to a change whereby you no longer want to have any part of that. That's what repentance is from a New Testament perspective. But it's also, if you look at it, not only is it that something that disgusts you and causes you to change, repentance in the New Testament is something that happens continuously. It's not once and done. Now, now, that's really important for us because I think some people think that we, we ought to preach repentance, but, but we don't need to major on repentance a lot. But listen, repentance, when you look at it from a New Testament perspective, every time it's written as a verb describing something, it's always written in a continuous sense in the Greek language, always. So repentance is not a one-time-and-done thing. It is a continual act that we are to continually allow ourselves to become disgusted or be uh, to lose taste for the sin in our lives so that we will turn away from it and make a change. And that's something that needs to take place all the time. Now, why does it need to take place all the time? Because Paul says in the book of Romans in chapter 7 that there is a continual battle, a war that's taken place, and that we have two natures now within us as believers in Christ. We have a new nature that he's made new, the spirit that we didn't have, and then we have the flesh, okay? And in Romans chapter 7, Paul goes to almost the whole chapter, starting at about verse uh, 14 and goes all the way through verse 25, makes a case for how Paul agrees with the law of God. He agrees that it's good. He agrees that the commandments are good. He agrees that he wants to do that which is good, yet he continually, over and over and over, finds himself not doing it. He Continually. I know what I ought to do, and I don't do it. I know what I ought not do, and I do it. I agree that it's good, and I should do it, and I don't. I agree that I shouldn't do it because it's bad, yet I do it anyway. That's what he goes through in Romans chapter 7. And so we have this continual battle of the flesh that's taking place in our lives, and therefore repentance is a necessary thing in our life all the time, continually. Because while I become distasteful for this today, tomorrow I may regain my taste for it because of my flesh. Not because I want to, but because of the flesh that I have may lead me that way. And so what do I need to do? I need to repent of that, turn back to the Lord, and ask Him to change my taste. And and it's a continual process. And it's a process that you're going to go through from this day until you go to be with Jesus in eternity repentance is necessary every day and if you'll look and you don't have to do this right now but i I took some time and i do this every week but on the back of your note sheet inside your bulletin a bunch of quotes on repentance and you'll find how there's theologians some of those date back two three hundred years they'll go all the way back to paul uh, in the new, Actually, they, they even predate Paul. I think I put a quote in there from John the Baptist. Repentance is something that needs to take place all the time, and, and not just here and there. And there's some quotes in there about that particular thing. And so that's what repentance is. Repentance is a change of direction that comes from a change of heart and a change of mind that leads, again, to a change of direction. It is something that we need in our lives continuously. So where do you see that? In the life in verses 1 through 3 of 2 Kings and Josiah. Well, he's about to show you even more, but already he's come under conviction of sin. He's confessed his sin, and now he's leading his people to change. How does he do that? He comes before them. He reads the words of the covenant to the people. He makes a covenant with God and with the people, and he leads the people to take a stand for that covenant. So they went from walking away from God to repenting, turning, changing, to now walk with God. And so you very much see repentance in the life of Josiah and his people in 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. But what does that change look like? What does it look like to have repentance like that in our lives? And there's so many different ways I could take this message at this point, but I just decided through the Spirit as I was praying and studying that I was just going to walk through uh, what changes Josiah begins to institute into his kingdom, starting in verse 4 all the way down through uh, verse 13. Because in those texts, in verse 4, he leads the people to begin to change, and then He begins to actually make the changes for himself and for his people, starting in verse four. And I thought a lot of that is really applicable to us as well when it comes to our repentance. And so there are two actions that we see starting in 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 4 through 13, uh, that I want to talk about. The first action that he that, that comes from true repentance, true repentance, the first action, the first change is he began to remove the junk. Or or in other words, he began to remove the hindrances in his life. Now, starting in in verse 4, he literally sets out to destroy the hindrances to him and his people and their walk with the Lord, and there are five of them specifically that he destroyed. The first one, and they're all, I believe, applicable to us. The first one is found in verse 4. And this is what he destroyed in verse 4. He destroyed and took away the false teachers and the false leaders. Look at verse 4. It says, And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest, the priest of the second order, and the doorkeepers, to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal and Asherah and for all the host of heaven, and he burned them outside Jerusalem. Now look at verse five. Then he removed the idolatrous priest whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem, and those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the stars, and to all the hosts of heaven. The first thing that he did was remove the false teachers and the false leaders that had been given places of authority to lead people astray. And so what he does is he takes them out and he removes them from that place. Uh, th- listen, what had happened was, is over the years, the kings before Josiah had begun to, uh, to bring in and take in All of the false gods that were worshipped by people outside of Israel. And they began to bring them in and actually give them places of honor in the high places of worship in Jerusalem and in Judah. They were taking basically God's idols, if you will, and bringing them actually into the temple and into other high places. And then they were ordaining priests to come into those places they are supposed to be the places of God and have people come in as priests that would lead the people to worship these things. They were teachers of false religions. They were false leaders, false teachers, false prophets of, of all the kind of order. And so he put them down so they could no longer lead people astray. See, these priests, they had led the people into worship of idols. They had led people to worship false gods, as well as manipulated people into believing false teachings. And so Josiah says, no more. And he removes the false teachers and the false leaders from his kingdom. I'm telling you right now, there's some people in our church and some people in American Christian churches that need to get rid of the false teachers in their life. You know, there are a bunch, a bunch of preachers out there that are very famous and very wealthy and very rich and have a lot of books that people buy numerous copies of that are nothing more than false teachers and false leaders. And here's the thing. When someone points that out to you, listen to them. You know how many times I've had people get mad at me because I've called out a false preacher or false prophet? I've I've been defriended and refriended on Facebook a half a dozen times by the same people. Because I'll put the truth out there and they don't like it, so they just get rid of me. And then they continually are taking that into their life. Listen, if you're caught up reading things that you know you ought not read or people that you know aren't true and you know and you've been told and you've been taught that their teachings do not line up with Scripture, then you need a change. Last night our, 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 the other night I saw something and, and, it, and it really, this person, I, people in our area know this person very well and follow him and, and, and share this stuff and like it. And he made a comment, he said, just because you basically, and this is a summary, that just because you've sinned in the past, and, and, and Satan wants to use that, um, he can't use that to hurt your future. That's, that's not right. That's not right. Your sin can and will hinder and affect your future. Now, that doesn't mean God can't use it for his good, but to say that Satan can't use your past against you because now god has redeemed it let let me let me just share here's an example of that i had a terrible language problems when i was in high school on the golf course terrible language problem when i was in high school on the golf course a sinful language problem when i was in high school on the golf course and to this day There's players that I played with that I can't witness to because every time I try, they bring that up. You Don't tell me that Satan can't use that which has been redeemed in my life because I confessed it, I've asked God to forgive me for it, I've repented of it, and yes, I know God can use that, and I'm using it right now for his glory. But in the lives of those people, don't tell me Satan can't use that. Listen, you need to be careful what you allow to come into your life. And and, and Josiah said, it's happened so much, we're done. You're done. You're no longer leading people astray. You're gone. So he removed the false teachers and the false leaders. You and I need to do the same thing. The second thing that he removed... Found in, and actually found in verse 4 and in verses 6 and 7, both, is he not only removed the false teachers and the false leaders, he removed the actual idols themselves. Look at it in verse 4 again. I'll read it. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest, the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers, to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the hosts of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. And then in verse 6 and 7, you'll see that he pretty much does the same thing, except for he doesn't just burn them to ashes. It says he burns them to ash and then grounds them to dust. He got rid of the actual idols themselves. Those priests and false leaders had been allowed to bring in their articles of worship into the temple, and these idols were things that they would lead the people to worship themselves. Like you see, I, I just said Asherah in, in, in verse 4. If you look in verse uh, 6, it says, and he brought out the wooden image. That's the same word. It's the Asherah. And that was a Canaanite goddess, and it was a prostitution goddess. The way to worship Asherah was to be involved in prostitution. And, and the if you look down a little bit further, one of the things... And there was this wooden thing that they would, uh, that the women would hang the, the woven cloths from. And that woven cloths, those were the robes that you had to wear when you were going in and out of the chamber to have a relationship with, with a um, prostitute, male and female. And this was allowed in the very house of God. And he said, "No, no, no. We're not. No, we're not just going to get rid of those teachers. We're going to get rid of the practice. And so he took the actual idols, the things that were caught that people were actually worshiping, and he got rid of them. He burned them, and then it says he carried them off and he burned them and he ground them to dust. He completely did away with the idols. He completely destroyed them. Listen, true repentance, true repentance." a change of heart leads to a change of mind to a change of action will always lead you to removing the idols from your life you know i believe with all my heart that's why we don't have revival so often is we're willing to con- be convicted we're even willing to confess and we think we're willing to repent until that repentance means taking the things out of our life that we would rather have there and when someone brings up an idol And they do it for the purpose of trying to get you to understand that it is an idol and you need to rid yourself of it We don't want to listen Or we shut our ears off Conviction i'm okay with preacher can preach on conviction. That's okay. It's no big deal He can even preach on confession. I'm not too bad with that. Oh, but he started touching my idols Guys, we we're not as bad as as some places i've been i've had pastors that were fired because they had idols in their churches. And you want to know how I know they had idols in their churches? Because he removed them and they fired him. Church covenant, I like the church covenant. I, I, there's nothing wrong with church covenants in the front of one of your hymnals. I was reading it the other day. There's nothing wrong with the church covenant. Where in the Bible does it say you have to have a church covenant posted in your sanctuary anywhere? Preacher moved it to the hallway where more people would see it. Fired him. Altars or, or Pews, people's names on them. Had to move them out so they could clean up. They had a flood or something. He, he put them back. Didn't get them in the right order. Fired him. I'm not kidding. Both of those examples are 100% true. Fired them. Don't say we don't have idols, even in the life of the church. But what he's, I'm talking about now is not just so much the idols that we may have or may not have. In the church, it's the idols we have in our life. And we'd rather keep them than get rid of them. But repentance will lead you to to get rid of the idols. The third thing that he gets rid of is not only does he get rid of idols, but he tears down the false places of worship that had been built in verses 8 and 9. See, according to verses 8 and 9, the priests and the former kings had incorporated the worship into the places other than the temple and the synagogues, and they had had created these other places of worship called high places, if you will. And so there were these high places where all kinds of false worship took place, and so Josiah destroyed them. So now he's gotten rid of the false teachers and leaders. He's gotten rid of the idols that they actually worshipped, and then he got rid of their places of worship. He destroyed their actual places of worship. Now listen, I want you to know, you and I also have places of worship that we need to destroy because they're where we worship our idols. Now I'm really really trying to preach truth here without getting in flesh, but the reality is you and I have places of worship that we've replaced the place of worship with. The, The reality is, There are places that we've given or we've put in place of what God's design of worship is. Or we have taken all of our time, our talent, even our treasure and our energy, and we've given it to that instead of giving it to the Lord. It's not hard to see. I mean, just look at church attendance today. It's just not hard to see. When something comes up, I mean... That's what we do. I mean, we do this if we want to. If we want to come to church, it's always here. The church will always be there. Just having a conversation with a lady this morning. Nitra, thank you for coming to my office. She was asking me about the plaque that used to hang up in the back. Very applicable. If every church member were just like me. What kind of church would this church be? Ask yourself that about your places of worship. It's Sunday afternoon. Here in a few hours, there's going to be a couple places of worship. In the says you're going to be. Full with almost a hundred thousand people, and they're going to be worshiping their heads off for of their team of teams. They're going to be worshiping for the Saints and for the Chiefs and for the Eagles or not Eagles, or whoever it is, the Patriots and whoever they're playing. I, I it, we've we've replaced the place of worship with other places of worship. Now, that doesn't mean all those places are wrong and evil and you have to completely do away with them, but if they're hindering your worship, then you might want to. Just saying. I'll give you an example for me personally, and I don't, I don't play much anymore, but the golf course used to be my retreat, and I love playing golf, and I did a lot of worshiping on the golf course. But I never let the golf course replace my place of worship. That's what they had done. They had replaced the actual place of worship with a place of Worship that wasn't the place that God wanted them to worship and, and so you and I may need to destroy some of the places of worship in our life and then the fourth thing Is child sacrifice and this is where the sanctity of life's coming in and I didn't even really realize that look at verse 10 It's very interesting It says and he defiled topeth which is in the valley of the son of the hinnom that, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire of Molech. Now, here's what had happened. Topeth it literally means fireplace, and it was, a very, it was the very sophisticated and gruesome um, place that had been set up, that had been established for the specific purpose of sacrificing children to Moloch. Now, the first place you see that, Moloch, is in Joshua 18. When they are about to take over the land that had been promised to them, God gives them clear guidelines to stay away from. And one of the things that he specifically points out was that they were by no means to become involved with child sacrifice the way that the Canaanites did when they would sacrifice their children to Molech. Now, if you look back also, and the reason why is because in Leviticus 18 and in Deuteronomy chapter 12, God specifically forbade sacrificing your children. And so what they had done is, over time, they went away from God's word, where he had said, do not become involved with child sacrifice to Moloch. And instead, they began to embrace that, and they had actually built a place for them to do that in their nation. And they were sacrificing their children. And he led them to repent of that by getting rid of it. Now, I could take that right there and just go straight into a sanctity of life message. Guys, we need a louder voice for the sanctity of life today. Because if you haven't noticed, the voice that is opposed to the sanctity of life is getting louder and louder and louder and louder. And we need to be a loud voice, and we don't need to just stand and say, we shouldn't have an abortion. We also stand and say if you've had one there's mercy and there's grace in jesus christ and we need to preach the truth while offering grace and mercy to those who may have been wrapped up in it but we ought not get quiet about that but i want you to know we have churches full of people who are sacrificing their children too every day not maybe physically And that's where some parents may disagree with me. They would go, what do you mean that we are sacrificing our children? What's that have to do with us? We don't sacrifice our children. Well, tell me this. Are you more concerned about your child's spiritual well-being? Or are you more concerned about their or your favorite hobby or interest or pastime? Are you more concerned about their spiritual well-being? Or are you more concerned about their basketball? Are you more concerned about their spiritual well-being or are you more concerned about their sports or their music or whatever interest or hobby you have? Oh, no, Brother Dwayne, now you're getting a little bit too close to home. You need to back off a little bit. No, I'm not going to back off. Because here's what Jesus said. What does it profit for a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Is there anything more valuable than a man's soul? That's Jesus' own words. What would it profit... for a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul. Now ask yourself this question, parents. What would it profit your little Johnny or little Sue? What would it profit them to gain that championship, to gain that scholarship, to gain that perfect pitch, to gain that perfect shot, to gain that perfect pitch in music and to gain that perfect ability to read music and play music? What would it gain for them to gain all of that and forfeit their soul? Now, here's something you can take to the bank, and parents, you won't like it, I guarantee you, because I didn't like it the first time I heard it, but it is a true statement, and here it goes. And you can quote me on this. Do not find it... let, Let me read it so I can make sure I say it right. Don't be surprised if you treat God and godly things as optional or secondary and then your children end up treating God and godly things as unimportant and unnecessary. That's 20 years of ministry experience speaking, where I got chewed out at 19 years old for telling my youth group that they ought to make church a priority because I had a church youth group who was full of kids who played softball and baseball at Bing. And because I said that, the girls took that personally because they were missing church because their coach was having batting practice. And so I was called into the office and talked to by the pastor and this this parent who informed me that I was very lucky that her husband wasn't there to straighten me out. That their sports are important to them. They made a commitment to that team I'll just be honest with you. I was a 19-year-old hot-headed guy, and I just looked at him and said, what about this team? I thought we made a commitment to Christ and be a part of his team when we became a Christian. I don't know. And my, luckily, I had a pastor who was only 26 say, if our youth pastor can't tell our kids to make church a priority, then what are we paying him for But I got reamed. Ten years later, I saw that parent. You want to know what she told me? True story. I wish I would have listened. That girl that got upset has been married twice, divorced twice, has four kids with three different dads, and can't hold a job and wants nothing to do whatsoever with the church. Don't be surprised. If you treat God and godly things as secondary or unimportant or unnecessary, and your children begin to view them as non-essential. I'm just saying. Some of us may need to repent of child sacrifice. Then the last thing that he led them to do in repentance was he got rid of all the remaining tainted parts of religion in verses 11 through 13. Every bit of it. Every remaining aspect of tainted or false religion he got rid of. And whether or not it was an object of false religion or an aspect of false worship, he got rid of it. Listen, true repentance will lead us to ridding ourselves of that which is false, of that which is is hindering us in our walk with christ but there's a second action and this one's not nearly as long we're almost done there's a second action repentance is not just about getting rid of the junk that's a big big part of it but that's not all there is to it there's a second part to it and it's found actually in verses 21 and verse 25 now let me ask you this How does a cold, dry, or torn relationship become rekindled? How does that happen? Now, some could say, well, a relationship is rekindled through time. And and you wouldn't be wrong. That's actually true. Some could say, well, it's energy. Put, Put forth more effort. And again, you wouldn't be wrong. Energy is important to rekindling a relationship. Some could say communication. Just talk more. Communicate more. And again, you wouldn't be wrong because I believe communication is necessary to rekindle a relationship. But you can really boil all of it down to one thing. And this is the second action part. Not only do you have to remove the junk, but you need to recommit to the Lord. Recommit Back to him. Committing yourself back to something or committing to be better or to fix the failures or to put forth the time, the energy, and the effort. Now, how did Josiah do this? Look at verse 21, real quick. It says, Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. He gives them a statement. And in this statement, he leads them. To be rededicated back. And here's what he did. He reinstituted true worship. True worship. Keep the Passover. Which was amongst the various worship things that the Old Testament believers did. None were greater than the Passover. Because the Passover was a foreshadow. Of that which would be the coming in their Messiah, Jesus. And so he's gotten them to get rid of everything. Everything false. So he removed the junk. We need to do that. But now he's reinstituted true worship. If you and I want a fresh movement of God, then it's going to need to happen through conviction and confession and repentance. And not just getting rid of the junk, but also recommitting ourselves back to the Lord. When was the last time you recommitted your life to the Lord? Yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I can't count how many Sundays that we'd have somebody come forward, to pray with the pastor to recommit themselves. Some of you older folks, tell me if I'm wrong. When we used to have commitment cards or decision cards up front, wasn't one of like the second thing on there? Rededicate my life to Christ. Rededicate. We used to do it all the time. You don't see that much anymore. We we really don't. And we wonder why we don't have a fresh movement of God. Maybe it's because preachers like me sometimes tend to focus on the junk we need to get rid of and and forget that there's a relationship that needs to be rekindled. And that relationship is rekindled through rededication, reinstituting truth, true worship into our lives. And so, you and I, if we want a true movement of God in our life, we need repentance. We need to get rid of the junk, but then we need to recommit to true worship. What's true worship? Last verse. I wasn't going to read it, but I'm going to read it now. Look at verse 25. What is true worship? Look at verse 25. Now before him, talking about Josiah, there was no king like him, listen, who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his might to give everything to the Lord. Isn't that pretty much what Jesus said? What's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, And with all your strength, which in short means to love God with everything you had. Josiah did that through conviction, confession, and repentance.